And uh, so I thought, well, it would be appropriate that uh, when he was raising his kids, uh, his daughter Deidre one time looked at uh, the white hair that was starting to grow on his head. And she said, uh, Dad, what's that white hair from? And, he's, and he, using false motivation, says, Honey, whenever you say something wrong, it grows a white hair. <laughs> and Deidre quickly said, How come Papa Lou's all hair was white? <laughs> so be careful what you're saying, Tom. <laughs> Today we're going to look at Jesus uh, washing the feet of his disciples. You've heard the story numerous times. I'm sure you've heard many messages. Uh, and Steve Balsley preached on it uh, about two years ago. And as I looked at this passage, I thought, okay, we've talked on this before. I've heard many messages on it before. I went online and downloaded, downloaded some messages on it. And a verse came to me, it says, it's a glory of God to conceal a matter. And literally, sometimes hidden within the scriptures, there is something you read, and because you're so used to reading it, you oversee it. You get blind to something that's hidden in the pages. And so I am going to do something different. Are we all right with that, or do I need to grab? I'm going to do something different today. I have never done this before. Uh, I felt like God opened up and revealed something that I had never seen before in this passage. I had never heard it before, yet it seemed like it was just smothered with this thought, this uh, bewilderment to me. And so I said, God, this will be exciting because uh, you always seem to do something like this and then you bring it out and you show me and it's usually something you're wanting me to apply to my life and then other people get to kind of hear it. So I waited and I had already prepared the message for today and so I waited and uh, nothing came to me. So I decided, all right, uh, I can see something's here. I'm going to call people that I know uh, are people of the word. They understand not only the word but they understand the culture. I called Pastor Greenhood from downtown who has a Jewish uh, background and I said, Dave, there's something I need to run by you. And uh, I ran it by him and he said, well, and he started to talk and then he said, I think I have created more questions for you than I answered. And he said, I'd never thought of that. And so I called into another person. I thought this person would know why this is here. And I asked them, and uh, same thing. Nobody seemed to be able to know why. But yet, it, it is mentioned five times in this portion of Scripture. Never had I heard it talked about. So I am going to do something that I uh, normally don't do. I am going to take what I think is a second theme in this passage, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. But I'm going to challenge every one of you to do something. I want you to go back, open the scriptures yourself, read this portion of scripture, and you guys don't be hesitant to tell me what God tells you about this thing. Because I would really like to know. Because I have no idea in the context 
of this verse, why something's there, and I never came up with an answer for it. I do not know. And so I think with this many people here, if you'll go back, don't be afraid to ask yourself the question, uh, what, where, how, who, what's this all about, what was the purpose of this, and allow yourself to think outside of the box of what you've regularly heard about this passage. I think there's something there, I don't know, that uh, God will open it up and reveal it to you, which will therefore reveal it to me, but I'm curious. And I think when I asked God what to do, and I definitely I was not going to talk about it because I didn't know what it was saying. Of course, a lot of times you probably say, well, you do that all the time. What stops you now? <clears throat> but you know what I thought is, you know what? The people standing up here and the people that have stood up here in the last 20-some years that this church has been here, we don't know any more than you do. We simply have some gifts that have been given that we can proclaim outwardly to you, but we do not have any more right, any more privilege than go into the Word of God because you are all high priests having access into the throne room of God. You can go into the Scriptures. You can open them up, and God will speak unique things to you and many times things to you that he may not speak to me or Ben or Nick or whoever's going to be up here challenge yourself and go and read this sometime this week. Read in the portion of John chapter 13 and I'm going to read through it and there's some main thoughts that we'll talk about just briefly but I want you to ask yourself, now don't try well, to think about it all this whole time I'm talking, okay? But just jot it down and say, okay, what is this all about? And what I want you to notice in the midst of this, what we're going to read out loud here, we're going to go ahead, and when we read John 13, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand just for honoring the Word of God. We stand for the Pledge of Allegiance with not even a hesitation, and what we have here is way bigger than America. So let's stand. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, loving, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he rose from the supper, and he laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself about. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter then said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. 
If I then, the Lord, and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should follow and do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, and neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you will do them. I do not speak to all of you. I know the ones that I have chosen, but it is that Scripture may be fulfilled that he who eats my bread has lifted his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit, and he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You can be seated. Now again, uh, interpreting Scripture, always interpreting Scripture, not just Scripture, anything. If you watch the news, if you get a letter from somebody that writes you a letter, you have got to receive that letter, read that letter, watch the news in the presence of the, of the, uh, the uh, theme or, what's the word I'm looking for? Context, there. I love it when my wife shows up. Okay? <laughs> for the context. You can't receive or interpret something outside of context. And remember, we found out the context starting from the, the first time that we started in the book of John and Ben said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We have the context already laid out and all the way through, John, from the beginning all the way through, last week I talked about it, that we have something he's trying to make people realize and that they would believe. And then he goes and explains it so they won't have any doubt. And he said, so that they would believe. Believe what? That I came from God. All the miracles are just testifying that I came from God. This is a central theme. We see that even in this passage. In verse 3, he says that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. In verse 7, he says, but I do, what I do you not realize now, but I come from God. Uh, and again, he says that he uh, says here, I have come forth from God, and you should understand that, you, that I came from God and that you and I will be one. It's still the theme. So inside this theme is still about that God, Jesus, came from God. But inside that, there's another theme. There's another thing that the context here is really important. I want to see if any of you heard this when I read it. Did you see how many times Judas was mentioned? Did you see how often that this was about the fact that he, his hour had come and he was going to be betrayed? Now, I found it very interesting. This is the question I've asked, and I asked the people and the friends I knew. I've looked and studied the context that everything seems to be responding to and answering to was paralleling and relating to Judas and being betrayed. So when, when Peter says, no, you're not going to wash just my feet. You're going to wash my whole body. And he says, your body's clean, and, but I will wash your feet. But not all of you, because it says he knew who was going to betray him. Then he says to them, even later, go on and do as I have done. And I've always taken it, yes, we do as God's done. We wash his feet, we bow down before. But he said, why? Because he knew his betrayal was there. 
Over and over, he gave the reason why he was doing this, why he was washing feet. And uh, Pastor Dave and I were just kind of asking questions out loud. Could it be that he was comparing Peter and Judas? Was he showing that one was clean and one was not clean? Were we went, and we asked all kinds of questions, and we came away saying, I don't know. So there, you guys, I want you to come back and don't hesitate to, uh, instead of texting me, text Tom and let him know all that you've gotten. <laughs> and he'll filter through and give them to me. But here's, here's the thing that I think we can take away from this. The central theme of the scriptures, from beginning of scriptures to the end, is a story about Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate theme of the, the story. But I don't think you and I can understand this portion of Scripture and the application of this portion of Scripture until we truly go back and we find out how God designed man from the very beginning. So we go back to the book of Genesis. And back in the book of Genesis, as God creates man, you saw man living as he was designed to live on this planet. On this planet, he, being totally united with God, the Father, having not only the presence of God about him, that he could walk and talk with him, but he also had the life of God inside him, tabernacling inside his body. And that's when he says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or that life will leave you. I will leave you. I will depart from you. But you saw something in man, how he was intended to live on this planet. And he brings forth to show him and demonstrate how he should live. He can't demonstrate how he can live at that point alone. And he said, it is not good. It is not completed with you living alone. So he brings Eve. Now here's the point. I want you to see something. Adam and Eve, while they lived together, had no major thought about themselves. They lived totally consumed with loving and blessing the person that was with them. Matter of fact, to the point that it said they were naked, they had never even known they were naked. They had never looked at themselves, and the word there means that they would not, they were uh, naked, unexposed, I mean totally exposed, totally revealed. And it says that after they sinned, something happened, and man came into a place that we live today, and we have perfected it. We are a people that are selfish, and we are self-centered. And when they fell, they instantly looked at themselves, and it said, and they saw they were naked. Isn't that a funny thing? They saw they were naked. They lived there the whole time. They had never known they were naked. They saw their partner was naked but they had never known, and, and they ran and hid from God, and, and they basically said, we found we were naked, and he said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Well, we were afraid, I was afraid, partial truth. I was afraid. But then he lied, and he threw in a lie. You know, if he wanted to say the whole truth, he would have basically say, I was afraid because I had sinned. I had acted independent of you. But he doesn't say that. And then he begins to blame. The woman you gave me. 
So he goes to the woman and says, the serpent you gave us. Now here's the point I want you to see because we're going to pick up at at least how we can enter into something. At this time, man on this earth became so perfected in the area of self, self-absorption. They're always looking at self. They became a, totally obsessed with themselves that every sin from there on out was because man was so consumed with himself or herself. They looked in. You know, I don't have any idea what it was like. I, I can't even imagine. But to have uh, Eve being there totally the way God made her, not ever aware of her own body at that point, never looking and saying, well, gosh, I'm a little heavy, or, oh, gosh, I, you know, my hair doesn't look right today. Oh, gosh, you know, and the whole thing that we have a multi-trillion dollar business of people trying to kind of make themselves look better. Why? Because we're so consumed with looking at ourselves. And this was so much a disease, it filtered through mankind, and now we have a people in a country and a nation in a world that are self-obsessed with themselves. They look for themselves. Everything is about themselves. And they basically fight and they devour, and it says in the scriptures that all the fighting and devours because man is obsessed with himself trying to get his own desire. And then you have 2,000 years ago on this land, Jesus comes down, God in the form of man, and shows a completely different lifestyle, shows you what man was intended to be like from the very beginning, shows you what it's like to be totally consumed with the Father living in him, no longer looking at his own needs, no longer looking at himself, but looking outward now, laying down his life as a servant for everybody he was with. He demonstrated to mankind what man was designed to live selfless. The word humble is to basically forget yourself. And you say, well, his disciples saw that. They said, no, never have we seen anything like this. Do you know that, remember when the Romans wanted to uh, kill him because of what the, the Pharisees had said, and they said, go get him, kill it, or bring him back here that we can kill him. And they go, and they come back without him. I said, I thought we told you to kill him. He said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Never. We've never seen anything like it. You see, if we go over to Mark, and you see in Mark uh, where James and John, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus said, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? They said, yes, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with baptism. But to sit at my right hand or my left, this is not mine to give, but it is to those for whom it has been prepared. And so that the word of Isaiah will be fulfilled. And he spoke, who's believed our report and to whom are the arms of the Lord revealed? And basically he comes down and he says that uh, for you, he said, for those that are great uh, and want to be great in this life will lose their life. And those that want to lose their life will be great and shall find it. And that word there is soul life. That word is the word soul life. Now let me 
give you an illustration. Years and years ago, I went over to Denver. Some of you actually came with me, and there was a, a speaker there named Juan Carlos Ortiz. And uh, he wrote a book one time, a little book, never really took off. I think it was a real small book. In the book, he uses the illustration in the book that this guy came up to him and he said there was this pearl and he saw this pearl and it was the most beautiful pearl he had ever seen and he said, I want to buy it. And he came and the guy says, you want to buy this? He goes, yeah, is it for sale? He goes, oh yeah. He goes, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, matter of fact, anybody can buy it. And he said, really? Well, how much does it cost? He said, how much do you have? He said, what? He said, how much do you have? The guy says, well, I have oh, probably $10,000. He said, okay. What else? He goes, that's all. That's all I have in the bank, 10000 He goes, do you have anything else in your pockets? He said, oh, well, my billfold. And he went on. He said, I counted out the change in the billfold. It's $121. He goes, okay, and that too. And he said, what else? He goes, well, that's it. He said, well, uh, uh, where are you going after this? He goes, I'm heading home. Home? You have a home? You have a house? Yes, I have a house. That too. But what do you expect me to do? Live in my camper? You have a camper. <laughs> Is that it? Do you live alone? No, 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 no. I have two kids, uh, one grandchild, and a wife. Okay, those two. You see where this is going? It costs everything. You have to lose yourself in order to gain what God created you to gain. And he says, after he gave all of those things and placed them into the hand of God, says, now I want you to understand they're mine. And they're, used to they're, your, they're yours to use whenever you need them, but always remember that they do not belong to you. From your retirement to everything in this planet, they are mine. Do you know that we were made to live in a selfless place? And if we live in a selfless manner, we will experience the fullness of God. It says in his presence there will be a fullness of joy beyond any explanation. We were designed to live selfless. And yet we don't. And I know that I'm no different than you, and you're no different than me. I see, we get up in the morning, and it seems like our days are spent, and we don't realize how much is spent around possessed with me. My, and that's why we're upset. Charles Vendall, when he was talking a little bit about this, he gave an example uh, in uh, a trip he took. And, uh, and he was taking his boy and he said it was my first father-son trip and so we were going to go on this incredible canoe trip and so I you know I got the you know the him in the car and we took off and of course I knew that if we waited too long in, in line we'd have to wait there while the people went canoeing so I raced ahead so we could make sure I got my boy so that boy and I could have a good trip and he said I also noticed when uh, when I looked at the rafts there were some new ones and some pretty old ones and I arranged it that my son and I would get the new ones. I also know there was the names of the, the guides that were on there that were the chief people, and then there were some apprentices there. Guess which ones we got? We got the real guides. And he said, 
I found as I was beginning to understand these things, my life was filled with self. It was all that I might look in and see how can I better myself and better those that are mine. And he said, until God showed me that I was never designed for that. That was a, a falter in the design. That was what went wrong in the design. And so as you see him going and washing the feet and demonstrating to them, he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to follow my command, and that is to lay down my life. And that's why he goes, and we, we see it repeated in Philippians, where he says, do nothing from selfishness, nothing from selfishness, or empty conceit. Empty conceit is an interesting word there. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. The word empty literally means this. Awaken to yourself that you're empty. You think you have something, you have nothing. When it says, when God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself. Why? Because he was full. Life. He was all that life was, so he had something to empty himself from. You and I, it's, if we're conceited, it's empty conceit. There's nothing for you and I to brag about. Nothing you have is, that you have is yours. God gave it to you. You know this, as I was looking through this myself, an application, I'd ask you to consider two things in application. First of all, you can't just stop and say, okay, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. By the time you get out to the car, you'll find that it's stopped. Okay? The flesh pattern, desire self. But just become aware. God just says, all I want you to do is be honest with yourself. Do you not know that I am a good, forgiving, kind God? Just be honest with yourself when you see And okay, once again, there it was. I was trying to gain favor because I was looking at me. I was looking at myself. In the last 37 years of counseling people, and whenever I have somebody come in with a deep depression, the one thing I am absolutely sure of all of the depressions that I have seen, or most all of them, I can't say everyone, most all of them, they are a people consumed with themselves. They're looking in so much, they're so worried about themselves, that sometimes if we can get them to begin to move out of themselves and begin to deny them their own life, that word life there is called soul life. It's not your physical life. Lay down your soul life. That basically means your emotional desires, your appetites, your things that you want in order to make you okay. He said, lay it down and come along and serve other people. Wash their feet. Look out for others. So the thing I'd ask you to do is identify when you do it, and when you do it, let it be a trigger that says, ah, oh, I'm consumed with myself. Who is it and what is it that you're wanting me to serve? Who is it that you want me to begin to love? If you continue to do that, I assure you, Satan will not throw those darts at you very often because you will now begin to reflect who you and I were designed to be as a people that were selfless. That's what he's saying in the scripture. Follow my example, and you'll turn this world upside down. Let's pray. Father, I look at the entire canon of Scripture. I look at your entire character, and we try to, in 20 minutes, somehow capture that and try to grasp that. It is impossible. Holy Spirit, I'd ask that you would take not only your word and make it alive, but take the 
jarbled words that I had said and make them alive in these people's lives, that we would become a people that would reflect a selfless body of people looking out for others, counting others as better than ourselves, and have an attitude that we saw in you. We can't do it, so we're going to trust you to complete it and do it through us. And it is in Jesus' name we ask it, because we in ourselves have no power to do so. Amen.